1: Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
0: Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way, I'm your host, Lyrian, family counselor and parenting expert Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Edlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to bring you another Edlerian friend and guest on our show here today. You're going to be meeting Julietta Skug, and she is a certified positive discipline trainer. She has an EDS degree in the School of Psychology and a master's degree in school counseling from Seattle University. She is the early years lead and co founder of Sproutable, which offers grown up tools, systems, and strategies that they need to cultivate powerful relationships, teach social emotional skills, and set healthy limits and boundaries with all kids from babies to teens. Her trauma-informed expertise includes early childhood development, autism, learning disabilities, anxiety, behavior disorders, positive discipline, which is one of our big Adlerian brands, social thinking, and mindfulness. Julieta has helped families for over 20 years, including running the preschool assessment team and working in many elementary schools as a school psychologist and a counselor for Seattle Public Schools. In addition to raising her own kids, which is experience in and of itself, she draws from her real-life practical experience working with thousands of students with a variety of different needs. Julieta brings a unique ability to translate research, child development, and positive discipline principles into everyday solutions. God knows we're always looking for solutions. Her popular keynote speeches, her classes, and her workshops have been described as rejuvenating, motivating, and inspiring. Oh my gosh, Julietta, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. Thank you. Well, we
0: you know, this is our first time meeting, but we share a whole bunch of common colleagues and the Illyrian psychology world on the one hand seems very uh, disperse. And on the other hand, seems very small and connected. And so this is really great to see you to pull in with Casey and Jody and some of our other friends.
2: Absolutely. Well, and just that world, it's so encouraging. It's all about belonging and connectedness. And so once you've met a friend in one way or what aspect, then any Friend of them or or those guys are a friend of mine, too. So, yes.
0: The Adlerians do walk the talk, I have to say. So we know how to stay connected. We know how to support one another and be encouraging. And we're all working in these different corners of the world. But I think technology has really been even better in bringing us together. I wouldn't have known what was going on in Seattle, you know, if it was back in the 1950s, 60s, 40s, whenever. Like, it's been really wonderful that we're getting together in this day and age to see that Adler is, in a sense... He's
2: everywhere. I feel that way too. And I think, you know, if anything, it actually shows the commonality we all have. And especially when we talk about parenting relationships that we all want, we all want these same things for our kids. You know, we, we all love our kids and we're all looking for tools for those respectful relationships ultimately.
0: Yeah. And so I, what I really wanted to hope that we could focus our time on was sort of two things that really come up a lot in, in, in my conversations. And I find that every time you have other people's input, you see it a different way. You hear it a different way. They use a different metaphor. They've got a tool you haven't heard of before. Like we're all still working and massaging this. Like we're never done learning from each other. I really believe that. and Even Adler believed that as he was developing his theory, it changed over time. But I found that the one thing that I come back to again and again and again that is a sort of quiet under, it can either be overt or quiet underlying, but it comes up again and again, is the dynamics that happens between siblings. Would you agree that, does that come up a lot, whether it's overt, like, oh, my one brother's hitting his sister, or it's covert in that somebody's really discouraged because they have an overachieving sibling or there's some quiet favoritism and the parents don't even know it? Like, I find that just comes up so much in my practice.
2: A thousand percent. I'm obsessed with the sibling dynamics. I am the middle of three girls. I have two sisters. So I've always really been fascinated by our own relationships. And then I went on to have three children myself. So fascinating to see that, you know, play out as well. And then of course, with all the students that I work with, just seeing all of those dynamics. And I think what often comes up in the families that I work with, number one, I always start with saying, let's list out all the challenges that you're having. What are all the behavioral challenges? And inevitably, the sibling conflict, the fighting, the kids, you know, yelling at each other, just the constant bickering is always there. So that's the overt. The covert that I hear time and time again, I crack up is when parents say, All this stuff is going on with my toddler and my preschooler. And then like late, like way down the road, they're like, Oh, yeah, and we have a new baby, but that really has nothing to do with it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's everything to do with it. We should have led with that, you know? So, and of course, I will have known, but like, and so funny how they always will be like, oh no, it's not about the baby or it's not about the new baby. And so bringing in the Adlerian gift and tool of the decision making cycle and the belief behind and the way that kids are, you know, perceiving their world in relationship to their siblings. It's just it's fascinating to me. So, yes, I feel like it comes up in time and time again with all the families that I work with. And it's really it's yeah, it's really a passion of mine, too. And I get, you know, specifically just because I have my own relationships with my sisters, but also just being having my own little lab with my own three kids.
0: So what I'm so curious, what's the gender and age difference in the three that you have?
2: Yeah, so for now my oldest identifies as a she/her girl. She's 13 in the 8th grade. My middle is also identifying as a girl and she is in 5th grade. She's 10. And then my youngest little Leona is a kindergartner and um, today she is a she/her, but it's there has been she's also identified at other times as Wanting to be a boy, and she's really exploring the whole spectrum. So they've been a total gift in that way too. So, but she,
0: uh, what's yeah. her age? Sorry, her, her five. She,
2: yeah, five, for today. She's, yeah, she's five. Yes, and she's a real. She's just a soul spark. And you know, I mean, I don't. They're so different, and and yet they all together they just bring. Oh, they're the best. It's so fun. It really is our party of five. Yeah.
0: So I'm the youngest of four, and I'm the only girl. So that's a unique position to be into and i was raised in the you know late 60s early 70s and um you know it was it was really interesting to me you know having some early memories of doing open forum counseling with dr rudolph drakers and my brothers walking across the stage being introduced one at a time and then me being the baby girl coming out last on stage and the audience all going like, oh, because I had glasses and I was the only girl. And I remember thinking like, oh, look at me. Like I, you know, cl- clearly had this, even being the youngest in the, you, you know, whatever. It was like I had a, a very big place in the family and when I ask parents to come for counseling and they say, well, should we bring the baby or we shouldn't bring the, you know, it's a, tr- it's trouble between child two and child three. Why would I bring child four? And I'm like, no, nope, I need to see everybody. And they don't realize who sits on whose lap. Does one, what does the eldest look after the little one? Does do they go to dad? Do they go to mom or mom and mom? They're like all the movement on the couch, the, who talks for who, all of that is data about how the family works. So to your point, like they, they think it's, inconsequential. And you and I as data collectors know like that's all all food, all food to digest. It's
2: so great. That's it's all fodder. I, I have chills. You can't see my goosebumps through the zoom. I have chills just imagining and just seeing your brothers walk across the stage and then you come out. I mean, it really is. It, the, I have to say when Leona was born, my youngest, my kids were eight and five. And so having that dynamic and being able to having been so steeped in positive discipline by that point and feeling so comfortable as a, as a new, you know, not being a new mom anymore and really being able to witness their experience. It was just as important to me growing those big sisters as it was bringing this new baby into the world and seeing the way that they shifted. And, and I always, you know, thinking about the Adlerian, like role of, okay, this baby is important. And so in order to be important, what do I need to do? And so seeing that play out with my oldest as the eight year old, like, oh, to be important, I need to be mom. And so she was like, I'm going to be a mini mom. And this is my baby too. And I am going to, learn how to cook my own scrambled eggs for everyone and, you know, and hold the baby. And she is my baby. And that has played out to this day. Like she is the mom, you know, and then my five-year-old, like in order to be important, I need to be close to mom. And so she was just my little shadow the whole time, you know, and they are real besties. Like even with a five-year difference, they are so connected. I believe really from that first moment of just like, okay, it's us, you know? So, Yeah.
0: It's so interesting how they make that creative decision of how much of a threat they're going to be to one another. And 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 you see these people that can find their way and find their role and 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 work it out and other ones where it's just it's a threat from the get-go. And uh, and uh, try to empower parents to realize like we contribute to their relationship, but we're not responsible for it. We we can't fully own we can't fully own whether or not our kids are going to decide whether or not their sibling is a problem, a threat, or or not. You know, we all we can do is moderate
2: that. You know. Yeah, that's a that's exactly right. And a lot of times I'll say to parents, I love that metaphor that we hear in this in these kind of conversations around the roles and that so in some families, you know, for kids, they, they do believe there's that threat. And so that role has been taken, like the sibling, that's the real, you know, great at school and, you know, does really well, that role has been taken, you know, in the play. And so I need to audition for another role then. So I'm going to be the, the joker, or I'm going to be the sports kid, you know, and so how we as parents can really cultivate that type of environment at home where, all the rules are available, you know, there's no, there's abundance for all. And so even the way, even the subtle languages, like you talked about this real subtle nonverbal or over, you know, things that we can do as parents in order to really allow for, all, all the roles to be taken, not like, Oh, here's my, here's our smart one. You know, here's our, here's our soccer star and just opening up that space for everyone to be. And I really appreciate that. I think my parents, you know, did a really, especially having three girls, like really did a nice job of just having us really find our own identities and being able to explore that in the way. But I think, I'm sure you see this a lot in your, in your practice that it really depends also on the age gap too. And I know Adler said, you know, for more than four years, then you really are more of an only child. And, but and the closer there's going to be a little bit more rivalry too. So there's so many variables that go into place with that.
0: Yeah. So many, but I, I, I really appreciate what you're saying, which is, you know, we would hope as a parent that, There isn't a singular person who gets athleticism and one that gets intelligence because if we're making a well-rounded person, we would hope that all of our kids would do well at school and that all of our kids would be healthy. We want to bleed these characteristics between them. So give me some of your strategies or practical tips to say, how do we unlock kids from roles so that they can... Have a piece of academics and a piece of sports, and and not compete around it, and not be so rigid around it. What does what does a parent have to do?
2: Well, I love to talk a lot about just healthy habits as a family and just systems in general. And so, and positive discipline gives us so many of those tangible strategies. Number one, of as family meetings first and foremost. And I started family meetings when my oldest was six months old in her little high chair, just me and my husband and, you know, my little six month old. And from that day one, it's like, we all have a voice. We all have agency. We have this space each week that we bring um, appreciations to each other. We bring things for the agenda. We look for solutions. We bring fun. We plan a family fun around that. So even just having this space where everyone has different roles, even whether it's a facilitator or the meal planner or the closer, even when they were pre-verbal, we would do, you know, we would just kind of speak through them like as the facilitator. Okay. Now she's saying everyone who's up for compliments. So already just having a platform where everyone has a voice, I think the pigeonholing, even with gender stuff can be really interesting with families where it's like, well, it's the girl, you know, the girl, one girl and the one boy. And so there's a real stereotype for lack of a better word in this, you know, context for parents that will say, well, you know, because she's a girl or my boy is super, you know, physical and, you know, loves sports and sort of that hold this because he's so boy, you know, and the girl's so girl. And so then even those kinds of pigeonhole kids into sort of the more rough and tumble. And as their sibling conflict, the way that we come into it as parents can sort of continue to nurture that more like, well, he's just a boy. Well, he's just you know, really like has a lot of energy, you know, or you're the boy, See, so you're hurting your sister. That's, you know, go apologize to your sister, which sort of reinforces the quiet and the, I can't take care of myself. I'm kind of the victim mentality a little bit too, you know? So even just the way my tool, your question about like specific tools and strategies, number one, just having family meetings, number yeah. two, having a really clear, like established individual routines where everyone is responsible for what they're doing. They know what they're supposed to be doing. And then really it's about how we get in there when there's conflict. So I like to say, get them in the ring, you know, and there's always going to be conflict around siblings. And so really embracing conflict, which is hard for a lot of grown ups because it doesn't feel good. It's icky, right? Or we have our own experience with it growing up that we just want them to get along and, and, you know, just be friends or we're projecting it's going to mean they're going to be, you know, X, Y, and Z in the future. But really starting to to embrace challenges as this opportunity to teach life skills. And so in those moments to really say, like number one, we say, keep them in the same boat. You know, there is a problem. I'm not going to take sides like brother, don't pick on your sister or older. Hey, you're older, you should know better, you know? And so really coming in and saying, wow, there's a problem here. You know, are you still having fun? looks like you're having conflict. And then all of the steps within that to help them learn the life skills of being in a healthy relationship, you know? And so I have a whole lot of tools within that process as well. One, but first being that, Embracing conflict and really approaching it like a coach and not a judge or a jury, or I'm going to hear your side and then I'm going to hear your side and then I'm going to tell you who's right and who's wrong and what the punishment is for the one that I've deemed as wrong, but really using it as this opportunity to develop problem solving skills and critical thinking skills and emotional regulation skills and compassion and empathy and perspective taking and all of those things. So when you're focused on that, right, that deeper part, then The extra stuff like, oh, here's my sporty guy or here's my smart one, that kind of all that goes away, you know, because you're working on those deeper life skills of what you want them to be learning in relationship with each other.
0: So because we're trained, that sort of comes a little bit more as second nature, but we know how, how hard we had to work to go learn what we know. So how, how is a parent like listening, going, oh, my God, I got to teach him these deeper life skills. Hell, I still fight with my husband. How am I supposed to, you know, <laughs> I can't get along with whatever. I'm in no position to teach these things. How how do we get parents trained so that they can, in turn, pass it on to a four and a seven year old? They're having yeah. trouble with it at 36.
2: Yeah, I have two, two answers for that. Number one, for it kind of the key to unlock it. The first thing I always say is, imagine your kids when they're 25. They say, if you have, you know, just pick your favorite, even just pick one kid. Imagine them when you're when you're when they're 25. What are those life skills that you hope that they're going to have? What are the qualities? What are the characteristics that you hope that they are going to have when they're 25 in order to be their true self, like their their best essence, you know? And those same skills come up. It's like, you know, I want them to be compassionate. I want them to be healthy. I want them to be happy. I want them to be driven. I want them to have good coping skills and be adventurous and spontaneous, but also like, you know, safe and financially responsible and all these things, right? Everyone wants these same things for kids, life skills. And so when you can start there and you can say, okay, well, how are they going to learn these? You know, how are they supposed to learn all these things? And then we can, then then I say, now, what did you learn from your siblings? If you had a sibling growing up, you know, we learned a lot of things like loyalty and problem solving and like having to wait your turn and having to share stuff and go, your own conflict resolution. And a lot of times people will say, well, I didn't, and it wasn't even able to like figure that out until I was in my thirties or my forties, you know? And I say, wouldn't that be so cool if our kids early on got to get those types of skills and lessons. So we learn those through the challenges, through the conflict. And I think that's really eye-opening for a lot of the parents that I work with, that they can say, oh, okay, that's how they get those skills, right? Discipline comes from disciplinary, which means to teach. It doesn't mean to stop. It doesn't mean to punish. And there's a lot that we can do that just kind of stop it in the short term. But Really, how are we teaching those ultimate life skills? And so I think when parents can kind of see it from that perspective, it gives them that little bit of space, that little bit of breath. If they you know, they're able to take their ego out of it and embrace it a little bit more, embrace the conflict more. And that's also why I like the family meetings because it is a safer space. You know, we're able to put things throughout the week that are hot spots later you know on that sunday morning that then after we've done a round of compliments and people were feeling good and it's a good time of the day and then we're able to go through those issues with a little bit more you know problem solving focus so but i think you know to your point it's like it is really hard when we're just in the land of like our kids are fighting all the time we're so sick of it what do we do first you know and so i think that part too then we think about like The bottom line, like step one is that we cannot solve problems unless we're emotionally regulated, like period, end of story, you know? So that first step of just let's get regulated can be really empowering for families, can be really empowering for parents too, of like, let's just start there. Let's practice. And, as well, a let's, well, let's
0: start there. How do you do it? I mean, that's, that's easy. That's right. That's Oh God, you know, I'm supposed to emotionally regulate them. And I don't know how to do that. Like what, what do you do when they're going fist to cuffs? Yeah.
2: yeah. And I say it's practice, 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 practice. You know, we don't, when the fire alarm goes off, and we haven't had a fire drill. We are not going to know what door to go out of, right? We're not going to be like, oh, should we go out the front door? Should we go out the back door? I don't know. What do you want to do? You decide. You know, make a good choice, right? No, like we will have had to really practice those fire drills every day, where we're like, here's the route, here's the carpet that you know, the the hallway that you go out of. Here's the closest door. Here's the backup. Right? We have a plan. It's in our muscle memory, so. For my kids and for my students as a counselor too, we practice this every single day. It's part of the routine. So for a little, my little five-year-old right now, she calls it meditation. It's just part of her nightly routine. It's after we've cleaned up, you know, we've done the dinner and done a little contribution and then we've had cleaned up the room and then we do a little practice. We do a self-regulation practice in her little space and then we go on to bath and brush teeth and read books, et cetera. For my kids in schools, we have it at, you know, targeted times throughout the day that we're practicing big, deep breaths. We're reading books about feelings. Like we're really integrating it. We're really setting that intention that this matters to us. We're teaching kids about their brain. I love using the brain in the palm of the hand model from Dr. Siegel. I teach this to every single, right, student. I started at age two with my kids. So that there's less shame and blame around It's just like, this is where our brains work. This is what's getting triggered, you know? And when our lid is flipped, then what do we need to do to get back to here? And practicing those tools, having that safe space, we call it a little... Call her Well, Leona calls it her feel better spot, but other people call it different spaces. So I think as a family, like when you can say this matters to all of us, let's do this together, you know, and finding that those times or at least one time a day where you really are practicing one of the strategies is, and we're, it's so cool. I mean, I think it's amazing, like in 2022 now, how prolific mindfulness and companies and books and like fun things that are really bringing it to everyone's awareness. I mean, when I started doing this, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, even like just dabbling in it. It was like only for the woo-woo, you know? And now it's like, oh, it's neuroscience. Oh, it's like research-based, you know? Like we all need this. The breath tool is so important. Affirmations are so important. Talking about feelings actually is, you know, a tool for the limbic region to allow our brain to reintegrate. So- yeah, I would say starting there in terms of just practice and having it as part of the routine. I think have, I'm really obsessed with habits right now, like habit stacking. How do we, you know, build in a habit? And so as a family, just saying this is, you know, having it as part of let, that habit stacking, like we always brush our teeth. We always have breakfast. You know, what are the things that you can back it up with um, so that it's not just like, oh, I forgot to do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Well, and to your point, like we're making it, those, those routines become automated behaviors that you don't have to waste brain resources on. They found the limits. They found the boundaries. They figured out the expectations they're being successful. And they, that's what kids want. They want to figure out the system and they don't want to be an alien on a different planet. They want to be an embedded member of your family culture. And they're trying to figure out how to do it.
2: And I'm firm about that. It's not like, do you want to, you know, it's like, I'm connected and firm. It's like, lids are flipped. There's hitting or there's screaming That's it. We're all taking a break. We're going to our special place. It takes me actually standing up, going over, helping them to that place sometimes, you know, and that's like a, that's a non-negotiable. So, yeah.
0: You know, and a lot of kids that have um, emotional regulation problems have something else going on underneath too, right? Like that getting, I I mean, it's one of the things that I really appreciate about Illyrian psychology is we go deep. Like we, we go deep. We know, we're always talking about the usefulness of behavior And, um, you know, what's the private logic of the child and see with the eyes of another, hear with the ears of another. And to be able to say, if I was this kid in this classroom with this going on, why would this behavior make sense? And we're so curious, you know, we're curious, curious, curious. And uh, and usually you can get to the bottom of it if you get the full picture. You know, it's so easy to just put Band-Aids on symptoms and just say there is no reason for that tone and disrespect. There's no reason you should hit your two year old brother. And, um, in in fact, there is,
2: (laughs) I'm not saying (laughs) it's the right right. behavior. There is. And that's why I say, you know, keeping kids in the same boat is so important because even when you think, you know, you there, I have so many parents will say to me, like, I saw, I saw it with my own eyes. They were doing nothing. You know, he was doing nothing. She just walked right over. They say, you don't know what happened half an hour ago, hour ago, a day ago, or you can go all the way back to the time when he was born. That's what started it off, you know. And one of my favorite stories, Allison, of this of just like being able to go deeper and getting curious. And we can do that, like, what you know, by letting them go get regulated first. Then we're able to say, "Let's get, let's get in the ring. What is going on?" And when my between my oldest two, they're three years apart. And I think my so at the time my oldest was must have been around six. So then my middle was like three, and she just came out so nasty. Like it was just like really like calling her older sister, all this stuff. So mad at her getting really physical. And, and, and I just kind of stayed with it. You know, I said, we will solve the problem when we're regulated. And, and then I, I kind of was, stayed curious with it. And I thought to myself and all of a sudden it came to me and I said, are you worried that the tooth fairy is not going to come and visit you? And she had this look to me like, oh my gosh, you get me. And I realized like here she was, they they share a room. Her older sister had had this tooth fairy magically coming to her room. She'd been in this stage of losing a bunch of teeth. You know, the younger one hadn't yet. She had no idea that the tooth fairy was going to eventually come to her. I never explained to her, you know. So for her, that made total sense. Like she was so upset and I never would have gotten to that Uh Aha! Had I just been like, you can't hit your sister, you go take a break. And then that, and then that's it. Like, that's the end of punishment, you know, but really coming back and being like, what could this go on? This is so out of character. And I, I love that, that tool also of just assuming that they want to do well, you know, like kids want to do well, assuming that positive intent. And so when they're not, when they're, when they're instead, you know, using these other, Tools are not being very nice, or using those things. It means that like something's off, you know, and they don't have the skills yet in order to, to really express what it is that they're that they're trying to um, communicate.
0: So, how do we find the balance between putting them in the same boat, not getting in their business, but also helping them emotionally regulate and also helping them problem solve, like. I feel like sometimes we send a lot of mixed messages to parents about like, step in, step out, ignore, uh, don't take sides. Like it's, it's kind of a lot of, it's a lot.
2: Yeah. That's a great, yeah. It's, it's interesting the way you said that. You're right. It is. And I, you know, because I work with a lot of the youngers, then I think there is still a lot of get in the mix with the parents when they're younger. You know what I mean? I mean, there has to be supervision. Like we can't expect kids to be, they just can't, they don't have the regulation skills yet. You know, they're still learning, they're still practicing. And so there definitely still has to be that level of supervision. In fact, positive discipline talks about the three B's. So beat it, bear it and boot them out. But we, There's also the fourth B, which Jody McVitie talks about a lot. I just love her work around this, which is build on it. And so, you know, we can't, we can't allow kids to kind of work it out themselves without building those skills. So, For sure, once you've given them a few tools, then you can access the other three Bs, right? You can bear it. You can stay in the same room, kind of supervise, but not get in. You could beat it, meaning just kind of, you know what? I'm just going to walk away and let them figure it out themselves, or the boot amount, out, like, I trust you can solve this problem, go on outside. But until they've had enough of those tools, and when they're younger, it really is about that part. Until then, until they've had a lot of those tools, then you really want to kind of coach them without taking sides, right? So some of the tools that I really think are important for kids to know, number one is that stop means stop. And we do a lot of practice around this. So if one sibling is saying stop, then the other sibling knowing stop means stop right? And we'll play little tickle games until they say, stop. And I'll say, oh, stop means stop. You know, and then I'll wait till they say, go tickle, tickle. And they say, stop things like that. Another tool that I love is the bug in the wish tool where when they're heated or something's going on, they can say like, it bugs me when you do that. I wish you would you know, it bugs me when you're playing with my dog. I wish you would let me play with it first or ask first. And so the other tool around that, that I really coach my own kids and my students is about how to be assertive instead of aggressive and not passive, but how to be assertive. And I sprinkle this in throughout the day. So if they're coming to whine whine at me, like, you know, she did this, or she's not letting me play. I say, Well, go back in. be assertive. Say, hey, I'd like to play. Can you please let me join? Or I was playing with that. I'm still not done with it. Please give me my turn back. So even coaching that little piece of like how to be assertive, how to ask for what you want, how to say stop or no thank you for that is really part of like the building skills piece. So, um, but to really answer your question, I mean, I think there's that moment where when you want to interject as a parent. And then I call it the pause. Like, notice that urge. Notice that moment where I want to be like, "Stop yelling at each other." You know, like, get in there, get, get, it figured out. Pause, and I listen. Are they going to work it out? Are they going to hurt each other? If I think it's going to get aggressive, then I then I'm going to intervene. But if I think there's that little bit, wait, you know, letting them see if they can work it out a little bit more just pausing and getting some more information before then you come in. And then if I do come in, then I say, are you both still having fun? It looks like you're, I'm hearing some stuff. Do you need some help solving this problem? And that still keeps them in the same boat and coaches them to figure out like, am I still having fun? What is the problem here? That's skill. That's a skill in and of itself. What's the problem for you? What's the problem for you, you know, and helping them see each other, see that perspective from each other. And that's what I love about the bug and the wish tool as well. And so I, teach this really early on to say, it's sort of that precursor to an I statement, the precursor to figuring out what the problem is to say, here's, what's bugging me. Here's what I want. And then teaching that reflective listening, you know, even my three-year-old could say, I hear you saying this is bugs you. And this is what you wish that I would do. And then here's what did I get that right? And have the other person say, yeah, yeah, you got that right. And then having the other sibling be like, well, here's what bugs me, you know? And so there you have those two different problems, and so then that cascade effect of helping them find those different solutions. Yeah.
0: And so, so you also are an advocate for the idea that kids need to do like a, a the 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 redo or a role play in development. And we're talking with the younger kids; these aren't the teens. You work you you work with the the younger set that are still working to develop their social skills. We're actively we're like in the trenches with our kids at this stage. This isn't like the. 17 and 18 year old, you know, arguing over the car or something.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I'm working. I'm still working through that stuff with my, my own siblings right at 46. (laughs) But I, yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. It's a missing step for a lot of families and it is the gold. It is like, let's bring the gold. Let's bring the gold. (laughs) It is the role play and the muscle memory. So not just enough to say, what are you going to do differently next time? Or not just enough to like tell each other, you know, But that total role play, getting it back in their bodies, using stuffies, using puppets, but really going back to the scene of the crime, I say. Go back to that moment right before you were about to hit the baby or right before you were about to like tear up your siblings' Legos. Go back, recreate the scenario. And as a parent... It's so important to keep that like playfulness, to be like, we're just practicing. You know, we've regulated, we've taken responsibility for each other, we've had that authentic apology. Now let's have a redo. Let's practice, let's practice what to do differently. So I do a whole like take two, you know, and it's really nice for the kids. Like they get a chance to do it in a way that feels better for them. They didn't want to mess up their whole game. They were just really mad, you know? And so for them to have that chance to, yeah, get it back in their body and say like, these are actually my Legos and I was playing with that, you know, with them or like, that looks really fun and I wish you would would let me play with you. Giving them those tools. And so I say to parents a lot, give them the script, give them the script. It's not enough just be like, use your words or what are you going to do differently? You know, of course, offer that opportunity for them to think about what they're going to say and give some ideas, but it's also important for us to let them know what is pro-social and helpful and, um, respectful too. So, yeah,
0: I worked. So in my nursery school, where, where I trained in illyrian nursery school, we had like these little small little s- snippets that were so universal. Like, it's so amazing when you have an 18 month old that can say, I don't like that or that's not helpful i mean these are small things but they would never come up with those sound bites on their own if you didn't help them to nurture them and they're so generic that they actually fit into a million situations you know, so so when someone snatches a toy instead of biting them or hitting them, they go like, I don't like that. That's just a small thing. But like they really don't know to use the words. I don't like that unless you literally <laughs> tell them that those are the right words in the moment. You know, it's exactly yeah. Those little breeze over that. They don't realize we need to be that um, whatever uh, that attention to the minutia of the scripting. Of course, when exactly. they grow up, they're going to say something like, "Hey, I really didn't appreciate it. I thought you were going to give that right back." Like they'll grow into better
2: language, but like you can start this very, very early. That's exactly right, and I think it can be really powerful when you have a you have siblings, where especially the toddlers or the preschoolers, and there's a baby and for you to give voice to the ba- for the baby to be their voice to be speaking to the older sibling for the baby you know as a baby to say hold them there and be like you know tell your brother like no thank you that hurts my body and i wish that you would be safe with me you know please give me some space for them to hear that from the baby as well it can be really really powerful and i think when you start that really early then they do have that language later. I mean, my older kids come out and they say, Hey, I'm feeling really discouraged. Can you help me find a solution for this? You know, or like, I'm really like feeling discouraged within my, with my relationship with my sister. I need some help. I need some tools. So even that part of just coming out and being like, I need help. This feels unsafe for me is really, yeah. All of those,
0: all those language pieces. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, there was many times in my childhood where, as the youngest with three older brothers their male energy and physicality or whatever and i remember thinking like um you know where are the adults like you know who's who why who who's here to to defend me and my interests. I'm the only girl. I'm small. I'm fragile, blah, 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 all this, whatever. (laughs) And it wasn't until I was in my 20s and doing my own personal work on my lifestyle assessment and all these great things that we learn in Adlerian psychology about understanding our unique ways that we go through life that I realized how much I learned from my brothers. I didn't need to be saved. I didn't need to be rescued. I absolutely learned some amazing life skills about conflict and not to be pitied, you know, uh, nobody had my back. I learned how to get out of slippery situations and tricky situations. And I had to turn on the personality charm because that was the strength I had because I didn't have might. I didn't have intellectual prowess of manipulation. I I had to come up with other things. So I joke that, you know, my brothers made me the man I am today. That's (laughs) that's what happened and i i i i did all kinds of social learning in that situation that did not require adults i figured it out just fine all kinds of benefits from dealing with different people that have different approaches to life and different ways to get along and get people to get along and look at the business i'm
2: in i mean like right well, and I hear that a lot from parents that they're like, well, I wasn't, you know, no parents were intervening. No parents were talking to us about siblings. Like we just figured it out back then. I kind of joke too, just even as a child of like the late seventies, early eighties, it was the parenting style was just benign neglect. But in yeah. actuality, like, you know, even for me, my, my mother was very, very ill, um, given stage four, like sort of terminal Uh, breast cancer sentence. She's okay. Now it was amazing. Amazing. She totally survived, but there were a few years when my sisters and I were nine, six, and three essentially, you know, and and in that framework where we, we really didn't have our parent, our dad was, you know, working full-time plus and taking care of mom. So it really was just the three of us. And that for sure defined like who I am, you know, the way that I cared for my younger sister, the way that I was so independent. I mean, the way that we would take care of ourselves in the morning and make our own breakfast and make our own lunch and put our younger sister on the bus, literally walk in the snow mile, you know, just all those things that we learn and that are informed. And, and so when parents are like, well, then, you know, like why turned out, okay, And I say, well, you know, yeah. And wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to learn all those things because my parent was super ill and we were left alone, you know, and, and I think you really can have both. You can really come in as a parent to be that leader and be that teacher and say, Hey, these social emotional, you know, types of skills are valued in our home and, we care about each other, and we care about being regulated and solving problems, and you know, working through conflict. And there will always be conflict here, and that's okay. You know, we're going to keep learning through that as well. I think, I think you can have both. You know,
0: yeah. I, I actually, Julieta, I love that when when we can normalize conflict, right? That that you know, <laughs> we're all different people, and we're all just trying to figure out how to get along, and we're going to rough up against one another. And that's the nature of life. The question is, do we learn the skills to do it well and recover when we do the you know, step too far or lose our crap and we can circle back and do the repair? And But to think that it's just going to be rosy all the time is like really an unrealistic ideal for any parent to think their kids are just going to be like, you know, oh, 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 let me open the door for my brother. Oh, oh, oh. You know, we Like, it's like, that's not how That's not you know, happy, healthy, functioning families also have a reasonable amount of conflict, but have the skills to, 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 to work through it.
2: Yeah. And when I think about my, my own girls, you know, when they're in future relationships, I want them to be assertive. I want them to be able to be in conflict and not be flooded or scared by that. You know, I want them to be able to like be comfortable in their own skin with like, I have some tools for how to address this problem. I know how to like, look for a solution. And I know how, I know, I know how healthy conflict feels for me so that if they ever are in a relationship that is not, that feels really dysfunctional or toxic, they're like, this is different. This is not what my normal pattern is, you know? So, oh, um, and so to your point, like, that's why even when my lid does flip and I am the, like, I mean, just not even like literally within the last 48 hours that my lid flipped and I'm screaming, I'm able to go back and make that repair and say, Hey, I take responsibility, you know, for the way that I raised my voice. I wish that I would have walked away sooner because I could feel my lid starting to flip. And here's what I wish I would have done. You know, can we have a redo and they are kids are so forgiving. I mean, they will. Yes, let's have a redo and here's the hug. And then I get to practice that too. And that repair opportunity is the modeling. It elevates our relationship and we grow from it as a family. We're able to come up with a new system or a new tool that makes it smoother down the road. I I love that seeing conflict as
0: being that opportunity to readdress what's not working. And then instead of, you know, it's the inevitable and let's get into disciplinary action. Just say we need a better way of working through that. You know, that's so, so positive. Um, What else do you want parents to know as I give you the floor here for the last closing minutes? My goodness, it goes so fast. I am like, we we will find another topic and we will jump back on here. You know, we will.
2: I was going to say, I would just, I am in awe of just your experience, Allison, and the depth of your knowledge with Allerian psychology. I just, I can't wait to know you and be in more conversations because I've just learned so much even in this time speaking with you so thank you so much um so yes we
0: we will keep the conversation going it's why i love this i love this format that we can all get on here and chew at each other's brains and hope that there's some people that are just learning about our our theory and philosophy and adler uh will will get as as enthused as we are and to know that it is a it's a growing um living always changing always to be interpreted kind of a psychology and I I love that about it I, I do love how everybody else sees it applies it people do things differently in France and Germany and Uruguay and like we're around the world and we're you know we to your point we have more in common than we have different but you know when we start talking about it we see different little nuances of
2: it and I just I love being in conversation about it. It's so cool. Absolutely. Well, you're, um, you can find me at com. So our company is sproutable and I have some really wonderful things coming up. So especially for, if this was inspiring for you, if you've got siblings, if you're expecting a new baby or, um, anything in between. If you're looking for solutions and systems and tools that are respectful, then um, I have a six-week class coming up that's on Zoom. So you can join anywhere it's live and that's happening in January. I have a really fantastic membership program that is only open two times a year. And so it's actually open, I think when this airs, it's going to be right in the middle of October, which is yeah. when it's open. So jump in now. And this is a monthly support. You're in For a year. We have incredible live group coaching calls, um, community in between. We support each other. We really break down tools. It comes with a whole host of things. So if you're one of those people that just really is craving that community, craving the ongoing support, especially through the different seasons of, A year is, um, you know, not just six weeks, but to be like support year round. It's so powerful. It's my favorite thing. And then I also do um, private parent coaching. And then it's Sproutable, We have incredible free resources too. We have a newsletter that comes out every Tuesday that I'm so proud of. It literally brings my 20 years of experience to that content relevant tips, videos, um, that comes out every Tuesday. So sign up for that for sure on our website. We also have, um, online self-paced video courses that are positive, all about positive discipline. We have an amazing one for toddlers, for preschoolers. If you're a nanny, there's one for nannies that I love one for preschool teachers. So lots of just self-paced on-demand stuff as well, if that's more of your learning style. And then we also have a great blog, a great YouTube channel, and you can find us on social media at Be Sproutable.
0: Be Sproutable, yay! Okay, well I'm going to put all of that in the show notes so people and they'll be clickable links and people can go right to what you're talking about. And oh, thank you for being in this world and putting out so many formats and and such community connections for parents because God knows I it takes a village and it's really nice to be in a village of like-minded people with people that are. A little bit ahead of you in the learning curve, and and it's supportive and non-judgmental. And I know I know that's how you guys run your show over there. So thank you, thank you, thank you,
2: thank you, thank you so much, Allison.
0: As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H Two O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Thank you.
1: The buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.